Well, today is a day that we have been praying about for a long time. Tonight, hopefully, is the end of a nearly year-long journey. It was around December 19th last year that we first uh, got in, in any indication from Vanderblumen that we had uh, candidates. And that has moved us to this moment today, tonight. I don't know if you're excited, but I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I'm going to invite Pastor Dan and Kelly up. We're going to spare the, the boys any further embarrassment that uh, they might have received this week. But, uh, and I'm just going to pray over Dan and, and Kelly and just as they prepare to, uh, as Dan prepares to bring us the word today. Father, what a privilege it is that you allow us to be part of your story. We get little glimpses of you throughout our days, and, and we have definitely seen you in this last year leading up to this moment. Father, I pray that we stay faithful, that this isn't a moment where you got us to this point, and we just say, thanks, Lord, but we've got it from here. But you are moving through Dan during the message this morning. Give him boldness, Lord, wisdom, discernment, clarity, as he just brings clearly the word that you have for him this morning and for us to receive it. Lord, we're just excited as, as a family, but Berean is not just a church full of people in a building, but it's, it is a place that you have designed for us to learn more about you, to act out what we hear and be your hands and feet. So I just lift them up, lift Dan up in these next uh, couple hours, and Lord, I just continue to pray for tonight that your will be done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everyone, for having us. You guys have been so hospitable. We've really enjoyed our time getting to know all of you. Um, before we dig in, I thought maybe I would share a quick story with you. Um, if you've been here this week, you've heard me talking about my family and my, my growing up in a church home and uh, all the opportunities that we had through that. But there was one time, and the, 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 the decorations are kind of putting me in the mind of, uh, of this Christmas we had back in Waterford, Michigan, probably sometime around 1983, 1984. My mom had decided that she was going to be a director of a Christmas play. Has anybody here ever been in a Christmas play as a kid? Okay, a few of you, a few of you. Some of them are great. Others, well, the kids are at least cute, right? Well, we're in this Christmas play, and I had, I think, one line to say in this Christmas play. And the line was this, it is better to give than it is to receive, and I got it, just now I got it again, so I'm good, I'm happy about that. But I kept messing it up. Every time we had a rehearsal, I think my heart came out of my mouth and I said, it is better to receive than it is to give. 
And my mom starts to panic every single time. Danny, no! No, it's better to give than it is to receive. I'm like, I think you're wrong, mom. (laughs) But on our way to church this one particular Sunday, it's go time. We're doing our play, and we're in our 1980-something Chevette. It's a miracle we made it to church. And uh, my mom the whole way is coaching me. Danny, what is it? It's better to give than it is to receive, mom. It's better. I got it now, I think. I got it now. And she, the whole way, she was grilling me. So we get to the church, and now it's time for us to go on stage. And we've got the piano over here. Actually, it was over here in this corner. And my mom is like underneath it just so she can make sure we don't get things wrong, right? And kind of yelling directions at us. And we get out of the stage, and it's time for my line. And I get out there and I say, it is better to give than it is to receive. And out of the corner of the, of the stage, I hear, no, it's better to receive than it is to give. <laughs> I said, I finally convinced her. It took all <laughs> month. It's one of my favorite stories to share of my mom who passed away back in 2010. There are a few stories that, that I love to share. Probably everybody in the room, you have stories that you really enjoy talking about. And that's one of them. Well, there's a story in the Bible. I referenced it in one of the sermons that, that you may have watched that was on Brian's website to kind of introduce you to my preaching. And that is in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And that's where we're going to go today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark 2, 1 through 12. And I'm going to go ahead and just read this, and then we're going to dive right in. It says this, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know Know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now before we dig into this text, I want us to kind of imagine that you were there. Remember, these are real people. This is a historical moment, something that actually happened. We're at Peter's house, most likely in Capernaum, probably basically a square house with a flat roof, and um, they'd have stairs on the side of the building so you could go up and and use the roof as as kind of like a deck. And uh, so you can imagine the scene now in this little fishing village where you have all of these people who have been hearing about Jesus and what he has been teaching and what he's been doing. And his fame is now starting to grow. And he's back at his base camp, and he's done several miracles and things that you just cannot explain. And again, people are now wondering, who is this man? What is he about? What is his message? We've got to go check it out. And in the room, I'm sure you have those people who have already witnessed who Jesus was and are starting to put together that this is the Messiah. You have those who are are following him. 
In the room, you have people who have maybe heard some things about Jesus, and they wanted to go and see for themselves. What is He teaching? Who is He? What is He about? Maybe He is the Messiah. I don't know, but I'm going to go check it out. We also learn that there are scribes in the room. The people, the religious elite, they're there probably trying to see if He's going to trip up and say something wrong that they could bring, bring an offense to Him for. So you have people there who are opposed, people there who are seeking and curious, and people who are there who are followers and just waiting to see what's going to happen next and how they can be a part of it. Friends, anytime there is a gathering anymore, even 2,000 years later, usually those three people exist. Those who are followers of Jesus. Many of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord, and, and you come and you gather with the saints, and, and you are deployed out, like the sign says, you're leaving here at Berean to go and to be the church. There are others perhaps that are here because you got drugged here by somebody else. Or maybe that you're just curious about. Maybe things in life are going great. Maybe they're going horribly. But you're just curious about what's happening and what's going on. And you want to know more. Maybe there's something to this Christianity. Maybe there's something to this person of Jesus. Perhaps there's those in this room who are opposed to the Gospel message. Perhaps. It seems like almost every kind of time there is a gathering, those three groups exist. And that's what we have made up in this house, in Peter's house in Capernaum. And this huge crowd, so much so you can't even get in through the door. There's a crowd probably outside, peeking in the windows, listening very carefully to every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And while all of this is going on, there are these four guys. I call them the secondary heroes of this story. Clearly there is a hero in this story, in, in this event, and that is Jesus. But we have these secondary heroes, these four guys who have a friend who desperately needs to be healed. He's paralyzed. And they somehow, they get, we don't know all the details, but they somehow come together and say, hey listen, he's been sick long enough. Clearly, they believed some things about Jesus, and they believed that it was time to bring their friend to his feet. And as I read through this story, every time, I can't help but to think these four guys absolutely had to be teenagers because nobody else would be this annoying. <laughs> I mean, put yourself in this situation. Let's say you are on fire for the Lord. You believe firmly that Jesus can heal your friend and you're tired of him being sick and the time is now and you pick him up with three other friends and you start to go on your way and then you see Peter's house and the crowd around it. Would it not be logical to say with, to yourselves, let's just come back later when the crowd isn't here? Wouldn't that be the, probably the right thing to do? To not interrupt the social norms? To not be rude? The teacher is in there teaching and you're going to come and bust through the roof? I absolutely love the fact that nothing got in their way. They were willing to do absolutely whatever it was going to take to bring their sick friend to Jesus immediately. They saw, they saw hurdles. They did not see roadblocks. And I'm personally convicted because I think of all the times where I've had these conversations starting with somebody and I'm leading them to this point where maybe we can, we can ask the question, are you ready to give your life to Christ? But then all these feelings start to come in and overwhelm me or maybe somebody else interrupts the conversation or maybe I notice the table next to me at the coffee shop is listening and I get intimidated and I back away from the question and I back away from telling the truth. If we're honest, we've probably all been there. Maybe you're on the phone with a family member and the whole time you're thinking, I know I need to say something, I need to say something, I need to say something, and then you hang up without ever saying anything. 
That's why these four guys, I think, are, are heroes to me, because they didn't let anything stop them from what was absolutely 100% the important thing for them to do in that moment. And I think we can learn a lot about them. Now, in this text, in, in this section of Mark, this is really about Jesus and his deity and his authority over the spiritual and his authority over the physical. There are several events in this, in this uh, portion of text where Jesus does these incredible things and he's demonstrating and displaying that who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's showing them that through this text. But I don't want to, I'm going to focus in a little bit on these four guys this morning. Our big idea today is this. We must become willing to do whatever it takes to position ourselves to be used by God. It's kind of a clunky sentence, so I'm going to say it again. We must be willing to do whatever it takes to position ourselves to be used by God. Friends, I don't have to convince you of what is in this world and what is awaiting those who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ. We are literally dealing with life and death. We are literally dealing with eternal life or death. We must become willing to do whatever it takes to position ourselves to be used by God. And the first part of that, I believe, is this. We must start pursuing Jesus. Because He is the only one. He is the only name by which we can be saved. We must begin to pursue Jesus. These guys did this. And this is the obvious point here. Mark 2, 1 and 2 says this, And when he returned, again, he being Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he, Jesus, was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he, Jesus, was preaching the word to them. These four guys knew who Jesus was and knew who they needed to pursue him to bring their friend to him because he was in great need. Why pursue Jesus? Why did they pursue Jesus? And why should we pursue Jesus? I'm going to give you three reasons. The first one is this, is he is faithful to save. We pursue Jesus because he is faithful to save. Jesus does what he says he will do time and time again. He is consistently faithful he does what he says he was going to do. The pe people in this crowd, they must have witnessed a miracle firsthand. And they've learned also probably what Scriptures has said about the faithfulness of God. Both through, throughout the New and the Old Testament alike, we hear about God's faithfulness. Listen to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What if we've some, what if we committed thousands of sins? When we repent and we put our faith in Jesus, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What if we've committed great sins? What if we've been addicted to drugs? When we repent from our sins and we put our faith in Jesus, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What if you've committed sexual sin? When you repent and put your faith in Jesus, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Friends, if you can hear my voice right now, no matter what sin you have committed, no matter what road you have gone down, if you repent and you put your trust and faith in Jesus, He is faithful and He is just to forgive you your sins. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
Let there be no question in your minds this morning of the faithfulness of God, for He is faithful. We pursue Jesus because He is faithful. We pursue Jesus also because He is able to save. This is a lot like the first. Jesus is both faithful, but He is also very able. He is capable. By the time these four guys bring their friend to Jesus, in a short period of time, Jesus had already turned water into wine. He had healed an official son in Capernaum. He had drove out an evil spirit from a man also in Capernaum. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had cleansed a man of leprosy. He had healed the centurion's servant. What does all this say? It says that Jesus is able to save. These, guys had, these four guys had confidence to bring their friend to Jesus for his salvation. Why? Because they had witnessed the fact that he is able. This might be an event that took place some 2,000 years ago. Friends, Jesus is still able today. All of us in this room who have put our faith in Jesus, we have learned that firsthand. Our situations were just as dire as the paralytic. And Jesus is able to save. We pursue Jesus because of His faithfulness. We pursue Him because He is able. And finally, we pursue Him because He is willing to save. John 3.16, many of us memorized this verse in Awanas years ago. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He is willing to save and nothing will stop Him from that. Romans 10.9, because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We pursue Jesus. We pursue Jesus because He is faithful to save. We pursue Him because He is willing to save. And we pursue Him, I'm sorry, because He's able to save. And we pursue Him because He is willing to save. What everyone that encountered Jesus has learned, both in, the, in biblical stories and in our modern day and everything in between, is that Jesus is able, He is willing, and He is faithful to save. Amen? Not only is Jesus faithful able and willing but he was and is our only source of hope there is no other name by which we can be saved but the name of jesus we have one place to bring our friends in need we have one place to go ourselves when we recognize the how lost we are and how sick we are and that is to the feet of jesus no one nothing else can save us which is why we must become willing to do whatever it takes to position ourselves to be used by God. We must. Excuse me. I've talked a lot this week. We must pursue Jesus. And secondly, if we want to be used by God, we must learn to put action to compassion. Verse 3, And they came bring to Him a paralytic carried by four men. They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. These four guys recognized, they were aware of the need around them. Sometimes we silo ourselves and we get into situations where we become almost narcissistic because we're only thinking about our own needs, our own desires, our own issues that we're dealing with. And sometimes when we do that, we can miss the needs of those around us. Thank God these four people came together and said, hey, this person over here, we have compassion for Him. But we just don't have compassion. We don't just feel sorry for Him. We're going to put this to action. 
How often do we drive down the street and see somebody in need and just kind of keep going and think, man, I feel bad for them? How often do we have a conversation and you just hear the lostness in somebody's story or in their voice and we think, man, I really feel bad for them? Friends, it's not enough to be compassionate. We must put action to our compassion. These guys, these four guys, they had graduated from being hearers of the truth to being sharers of the truth. Within our Christian walk, we need to put action to our compassion. We need to, we need to understand that all of the things that we're learning, all of these, the Bible that we're learning and, and we're, we're memorizing and we're putting in our heart, we're doing so, to, yes, so we can draw ourselves closer to God as He draws us, but also so that we can use all of that to help save a lost and dying world, to so help them, to point them to the feet of Jesus. And if we never graduate from just being hearers of the truth to being doers of the truth, we miss out on incredible stories. We miss out on incredible events. We miss out on the miraculous. We miss out on watching people step from death unto life. Our baptismal waters grow stale and they don't stir. And our hearts begin to break and we start looking around saying, why, Lord, why? Why is our community not coming to Christ? And then when we look in the mirror, we realize perhaps that we've been hearers of the Word but we haven't graduated to become doers of the Word. We haven't allowed the compassion that we have in our heart to drive us to action like these four guys did. Friends, faith is a verb. Faith is a verb. And we have to ask ourselves, are we living like it's a verb? What is important to us? What am I willing to do? Am I willing to do whatever it takes? You might think, Dan, you're, you're a pastor. You came all the way down here from Alaska. You're probably willing to do some stuff. But i got to be honest with you. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And sometimes I have to really wrestle with it. I wasn't really planning on sharing this story, but I'm going to anyways. I may regret it later. I guess it's been, I don't know, two and a half years now. Uh, this, this young lady who had come to our church, Rebecca, she had come to our church a few times, well, maybe just once. Um, I remember her because she wore a, a mini skirt and had a, a tether, an ankle monitor on. You don't forget that. <laughs> she was rocking the ankle monitor. She wanted everybody to know she had it. Well, a couple months go by, I hadn't seen Rebecca, and my administrative assistant, Tina, comes and says, Dan, do you remember Rebecca? And I'm like, no, not really. She goes, short skirt, ankle monitor. Yeah, I remember Rebecca. <laughs> she said, well, she's pregnant, and she's back in prison, and she's getting ready to have a baby. Do you know anybody who would be willing to take this baby for a couple of months so you can keep him out of foster care? And I said, no, no, I don't think I do. <laughs> and uh, some, somewhere between conviction and maybe sharing a story with my wife, we decided, you know what, we should at least be willing to help out. So honestly, my motives probably weren't the great. I don't even know what they were. But I called Tina and said, hey, listen, we'll be willing to, to take this lady's child. And we don't know her or anything about her, but... If there's nobody else, if you've uncovered every rock or turned over every rock, if the last worst case scenario, I guess we'd be willing for a couple of months. So the, some time goes by, and it's time now for Rebecca to have her child. It's in August. Um, I guess it'll be two years ago this past August. She had just turned two. And I get a call from Tina. Now, the call I got from Tina came on a week where I probably wasn't at my strongest. It was a very difficult week. That week started off on Monday where I got a call to go to a hospital room, 
And when I got there, I, I was there and, and was present while an 11-month-old died in his mother's arms. Pretty traumatic, as you can imagine. Tuesday, I get a phone call. Hey, that child that died while you were there died of uh, meningitis. You might need to go get a spinal tap because you've been exposed to it. I wish I could tell you it didn't bother me. I wish I could tell you I wasn't scared. I wish I could tell you that I was so filled with faith that it, I was just like, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. That wasn't where I was at. I was terrified. Couldn't sleep. Wednesday comes around, I get a call from Tina. Hey, Rebecca had her child. Are you still willing to be on the list? And I said, yeah, I guess so, but I might be dying soon. <laughs> Later that evening, I get another call, and that, this call was a little bit easier. It was, uh, um, uh, it was bacterial meningitis. I don't need to go get the spinal tap. I wasn't exposed to anything dangerous. Thursday, I get a call from uh, OCS, and they say, hey, we, uh, we're having a meeting Friday morning to determine where this child is going. Um, are you still willing to be considered as one of the people that would perhaps take the child? And we said, yeah, we are. So they said, come down Friday morning. Well, we've got a small farm with, we have to milk stuff and all kinds of stuff going on. And we had to drive an hour and 15 minutes into Anchorage to be there by 8 a.m. So it was a busy morning. We get there Friday morning and the, the OCS guy says, oh, by the way, we're not having a meeting anymore. I'm like, oh, good. He goes, because last night the mom signed over rights to you guys for the child. So you need to go pick up the baby at the hospital. Do you need anything? My, <laughs> my youngest is 10 at the time. I'm thinking, I probably need some stuff. So we get to the hospital in another traumatic moment. Mom doesn't want to let the baby go. She doesn't even know us. And it got to the point where I had to physically take this child from the mom. Fast forward, uh, August through September or October ended up turning into January. January, mom gets out. We've had the baby now for, what is that, four months or something. Mom gets out of prison and then she violates her probation and goes back to prison until the following August. And we have this child for the first year of his life. Difficult times, still difficult. But here's the thing. We were able to see some things that were absolutely amazing that we would never have been able to see otherwise. This baby, baby's mom has now started her own cleaning business. She loves the Lord with all of her heart. And we got to be a part of it. Why? Because we were willing to do whatever it took. In that moment, in that season, and friends, we would have missed out on so, much, so many blessings of the Lord. Yeah, there were sleepless nights. There's been lots of tears and there still are. When you have a child for the first year of his life as, as basically his mom and his dad, when you let him go back to somebody with a history that his mother had, that is difficult. And I can tell you, I've watched my wife cry herself to sleep many nights, but is it worth it? It's absolutely worth it because Rebecca knows that the children of God love him and are willing to put action to their compassion. If we want to be used by God, we must be willing to put action to our compassion. We must become willing to do whatever it takes to position ourselves to be used by God. And when things get tough, and they will, we have to learn to persevere when those things get tough. Verse 4, And when they could not get near Him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. These four guys, they faced significant Hurdles or roadblocks, but they turn them. They return their uh, their roadblocks into hurdles. Again, picture the scene where these guys are. They recognize they had a friend who was in need, and they recognize that Jesus was their only source of hope. But they were willing to do absolutely whatever it was going to take. 
They ran into their hurdles, but they leapt over them together. They were determined to not let anything get in their way. And it's that kind of determination, friends, that the children of God today, 2019, in Mansfield, Ohio, in Wasilla, Alaska, everywhere in between, it's that kind of determination that we must have because it is literally life and death. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow for us. What is the roadblock that we're willing to stop us right now? We're willing to allow to stop us. I want to point out this too, that they persevered together. This is just a guess, but I would have to guess that, that if it was one person, probably would have stopped somewhere on that road before they got to the house where Jesus was. If it was just one person. Maybe even of those two. But something happens when a group of people who follow Jesus get together and become determined to do whatever it takes to take somebody from death into life. Something incredible happens. We give each other strength. We spur one another on. And we keep going. Friends, if Berean Baptist Church is going to position herself in Mansfield to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child in this area, we must do it together. With a common mission, a common vision, and a common goal. They persevered together. Now some of you may be getting nervous right about now because in Drew's prayer he said something about me for a couple hours today. But don't be too scared. There are a couple services and some other things happening. So I won't preach for a couple hours today. To this group, anyways. We must pursue Jesus. We must pursue Jesus. Friends, every time there's been a great revival in modern history, it has been preempted by the children of God, the saints, getting on their knees and desperately seeking God. He is faithful. He is able and He is willing. Are we going to position ourselves? Are we going to do whatever it takes to bring those around us, to give them a fair crack at the Gospel, to give them a fair chance of the hearing of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we going to show them what this looks like? Are we going to pursue Jesus? Are we going to persevere when things get tough? Are we willing to put action to our compassion? Friends, we must be willing to do whatever it takes to position ourselves to be used by God. I know the significance of today. It's almost the elephant in the room. There's, there's a vote, of a, a, confirm, a confirming vote, or maybe not one, later in this evening. And everybody here is maybe in the back of your minds, if, unless you're new today, like me, then hey. Um, <laughs> But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, all right, is this the person? Listen, can we just for a second put that aside? Because I think this is incredibly important. Whether your next pastor is me or if somebody else, friends, Brian must become willing to do whatever it takes. Must become willing to do whatever it takes because this really is life and death. This is real stuff. There are souls at stake. Souls of people you love and people you may not have met yet. But this is real. 
And when we get to do something, when we actually start to move and we see God do some incredible things, I'm looking around and I've heard stories this week of some incredible movements of God. There are probably hours and hours and hours of testimony in this room right now of, of times where you have witnessed, either in your own life or in somebody else, a powerful movement of God. And so many of you desperately want to see that again. Why? Because when it happens, there is no doubting it. When God moves... I don't care if you're the seeker in the room, the follower, or the one opposed. When God moves, there is only one thing left for us to do, and that is to offer our praise to an almighty God. When God does what only God can do, our response can only be to praise Him for His goodness. Verse 12, And He rose and immediately picked up His bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed glorifying God, saying, We never saw anything like this. It is my prayer that those are words that are said here over and over and over again. That when we see God do something incredible, the lights go off. (laughs) (laughs) That when we see God do something incredible, there's a resounding, we've never seen anything like this and we want to see it more. They were all amazing God, or amazed and glorified God, even those who were opposed to Him. The scribes in the room who were just a moment ago in their mind and their spirit thinking that Jesus is blaspheming. But when they see what He does, there was only one response left and that was to offer Him praise. We need to take time to recognize the power of God in our own lives by rehearsing what He has done. If you haven't done this In a long time or maybe ever, if you're a follower of Jesus, take some time and write out your testimony. I've been able to share parts of mine several times this week, and it's this it builds our faith because it reminds us of who God is and what He has done and what He is capable of doing. And He isn't done yet. He isn't done in my life. He isn't done in yours, and He certainly isn't done in the community here around us. The four decided to put themselves out there. I mean, think about this. They could have thought, what if if we get there? What if we tear this roof apart and we get scolded and Jesus doesn't heal our friend? They really put themselves out there, didn't they? We need to all put ourselves in situations like this where if Jesus doesn't come through, we're going to be looking kind of silly. Because when He does and He will come through, the only thing left is to praise Him, not just for us, but for everybody who witnesses it. This is real. This is life and death. And we have a front row seat. We get to see God do some incredible things. Time doesn't allow for for, for all of us to share some of the incredible things probably that God's been up to this week. But it is real and He is up to amazing things. And we must become willing to do whatever it takes to position ourselves to be used by God. Because God will respond. I'm going to wrap up and conclude with this challenge. I want to challenge you this morning to put yourself in this story. Ask yourself this morning, who am I in this story? Because we can all identify with one or more of these people. Probably in different seasons of our lives, we could identify with more than one group. Maybe ask yourself, am I in that season of life where I'm one of the four? I'm ready to lock arms with fellow saints and we're going to do whatever it takes. That's where I'm at right now.
Maybe you're sitting here going, I can identify with a paralyzed guy because I really don't know which end is up. My life is in shambles right now and I don't know what to do. Somebody got you here. Maybe it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was the people that you were sitting next to. If you just put your trust and faith in God, He can do for you what He has done for this paralyzed man this morning. He can usher you from death into life, from hopelessness into hope. Maybe you're sitting here and going, I'm curious about all of this, but I don't know that I'm there yet. My challenge for you this morning, if that is you, ask God to show you what He's been doing in your life. Put yourself out there just a little bit. Because I believe firmly that God's been at work in your life. And you just need to take some time to realize that and see where He's been at work. Maybe you're here and you're at odds with the Gospel. You're here reluctantly. And you, you have a bone to pick with Christianity. My challenge for you is like the last challenge. Put yourself out there just for a moment and, and, and see if God reveals Himself to you. Maybe it's people you're disappointed in and not God. Maybe you're here because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been a hearer of His truth, but you really haven't stepped out yet and put yourself out there. My challenge for you is this. Ask God to give you the strength, conviction, and power to step out there. To begin to do whatever it takes to be used by Him for, his good and, for your good and for His glory. I want to pray. I want to commit this to prayer. But as I do, I'd also like to ask the band to come forward. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank You for this day. Thank You for this group of people. So many in this room desperately love You. So many in this room desperately want to see You do incredible things that you, they've seen You do time and time again. So many in this room can identify with the one of the four because they've put themselves out there and they're in a season of their lives right now where it says, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to position myself to be used by You. But God, I'm sure that the paralyzed man exists today in our midst. That person who has yet to put their faith and trust in You. As with the seeker. God, usually there are some people in a room that are at odds with the Gospel. There's a bone to pick. And God, I'm sure that there are many people in here who are followers of You that are just waiting for that direction to take that step to do whatever it takes. I'm going to be bold for a moment if you just keep your heads down and your eyes closed. Maybe you're in the room this right now. You're, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. You desperately want to be used by God, but you have to admit that you're not really in that place. You're not really in that place where, where you're going to, willing to put yourself out there to be used by God. Friends, outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, none of us are going to be there consistently. But if that's you right now and you're just willing to be honest, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to, to do anything or leave your seat. Just slip up your hand so I can pray for you. I see your hands. Maybe you're here. Somebody has brought you here this morning. And if you're to be honest, you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. But you're beginning to recognize how much you need that relationship with Jesus. And that maybe this morning, you're ready to take and step from death into life and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
If that's you, I just want to pray for you as well. Would you slip your hand up so I could pray for you? Maybe you're the at odds person with the gospel. You have a bone to pick. But you're willing. You're willing to, to allow God to reveal himself to you. If that is you, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, God, there have been hands this morning. People who are interested or desperate to take a step closer to you. God, there is one that can make that happen. That is the power of your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that you, you unleash the power of your Holy Spirit in this place and help every single one of us, the follower, the seeker, those who are at odds, and those who are willing to do whatever it takes, help all of us, help all of us to take that step closer to you. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. You are an able God. You are a willing God. And God, I know that you can rescue everyone in this room, God, because you have rescued me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.